of the church. This will be about part seven for the ship. And this morning we're going to continue to, to study the element of the restoration of biblical fellowship. And I think this is a critical topic because I think biblical fellowship plays a huge role in who you and I are ever going to become in the kingdom of God. And I also think that it's, it's something that's sorely lacking in today's church and kind of an epidemic that's broken out in our midst of being in a church world that de-emphasizes things that the Bible highly emphasizes. So hopefully today we can recapture some of what God had in mind uh, concerning biblical fellowship. Now, last week we, we touched on some elements of biblical fellowship from the standpoint of our particular practice, some changes we're feeling led to have in the covenant group ministry. And if you, if you were not here, please let me ask you to get a tape or a CD and a little handout that went with that. All of that should be available in the foyer, the book nook. Uh, there, there should be some discussion taking place in your covenant groups about some of the changes that we feel led to make. Uh, I, I appreciate so many folks' response has been very supportive, very encouraging of what the Lord has led us to, to do and change in some areas. Uh, at the same time, we know this is, for many, bringing an adjustment that is at a cost. It's at the cost of some relationships that have grown near and dear to you in the covenant groups that you are in that may be undergoing some changes. Not all of them are being changed, but there's a few that are undergoing some changes. And uh, well, I, I wish there was a way for me to, to give some sort of answer for the discomfort that comes when you have biblically lived your life towards other people. You've invested in them. You have loved them. You have shed tears with them. You have opened your heart, opened your life, confessed sin to them. They have walked with you. And, and then you're going to be asked, would you, would you pull up roots from some of these relationships and, and put them down over here? Now, I realize that years ago, these roots weren't here. So we know that these, these are transferable elements in our lives. But it's, they're not easily transferable. And to some degree, I'm glad that's the case. It would be a sad thing if, if everybody was like hooping and hollering and throwing a party. It's like, woo, man, I'm so glad to get away from these people. Put me with anybody. Uh, you know, that, that would speak something to us as well about our view of fellowship. But that's not been the case. Uh, and I appreciate the heart that many of you have expressed that says, you know, we understand the big picture. We understand what God's want to accomplish in our midst, and, and we want to be on board with that as, as difficult as it is for us to embrace it. So I, I think that's probably the best response that, that we would ask of anybody, that you are willing to walk where the Lord leads, even with the difficulty that it genuinely is creating. And so thank you guys again for your wonderful response and support for helping us to posture the church more effectively for ministry. Today, uh, I want to hit the issue of just understanding our need for fellowship, how God's designed it. I want to back up for a second. Can I get that clicker from over there, Jeff? Uh, I want to back up for a second into our introducing again the whole theme of what we're doing here. This whole series is about, oops, go back. Thank you. It's about... Understanding as a church that we live in a time when we just can't take for granted that the church as it exists on the earth, as you and I know it in this time frame, is being done exactly the way God wants it done. Now, that would be true. As we said, last week's message was simple reformanda, always reforming. This would be true whether we're looking at our marriages. I mean, today we live in a world today where we're having to figure out how to create a law that's going to protect marriage to keep it between a, a man and a woman. That's where we're living today. Because the world is so drifted away from the idea of marriage that it wants to reinvent that thing. Well, you know, the world's been reinventing the church for thousands of years. Hopefully we're not asleep at the wheel here. We know that when you watch church history, uh, what's called church history might be the history of some people who were hanging around religious ideas, but it may not necessarily really be the history of the church. 
Now, even when you study the nation of Israel and you hear the Bible say, you know, that they're not all Israel who have descended from Israel. Now, God's clearly saying that I've always had a remnant of people who really have always been mine all along the way. But that whole group, they're not all mine. Their hearts aren't mine. They don't walk after me. They don't pursue me. And so when we look at the idea that there's this big thing called the church, we run the danger that we're going to start thinking, well, all this defines who we are. And the reality is it does touch who we are. And in the same way that we live in a land where we have to redefine marriage today, you and I need to redefine the church and realize that maybe my ideas, even though we're in a, a church that believes the Bible, it teaches the Bible, we're walking out many things. And you guys are to be commended for many of the biblical principles you wholeheartedly embrace at great cost to yourself to be different from the world. Uh, that's commendable. But, you know, for my own life, my own walk, I don't ever want to think that I'm untouchable by the drift that's all around me. I am. I'm touchable. And so are you. And so we, we need to consider that in the world today, the church is being redefined. And if you and I don't go back to the original definition, we may begin to gravitate towards some of those new definitions in a way that's not going to be good. Let me give you an interesting little blurb here. <clears throat> this is a bit of a tongue-in-cheek quote. It's called, Church Light. Does it seem to you that churches these days just expect too much from their people? Well, before you remember that Jesus told us to pick up our cross and follow him daily, read the following announcement, then repent. <laughs> Has the heaviness of your old-fashioned church got you weighed down? Try us. We're the new, improved light church of the valley. Studies have shown we have 24% fewer commitments than other churches. We guarantee to trim off guilt because we're low-cal. Low-calvin, that is. We are the home of the 7.5% tithe. We promise 35-minute worship services with 7-minute sermons. That'd be miraculous here, wouldn't it? <clears throat> Next Sunday's exciting text is the story of the feeding of the 500. It's supposed to be 5,000 for those who are biblically a little bit slow. We have only six commandments. Your choice. We use just three Gospels in our contemporary New Testament. Good sound bites for modern human beings. We take the offering every other week. All major credit cards accepted, of course. We're looking forward with great anticipation to our 800-year millennium. Yes, the new and improved Light Church of the Valley could be just what you are looking for. We're everything you want in a church and less. I know that sounds silly, but do you realize that there are many churches who are forming their practices out of those kinds of things that, you know, today, you know, if a church service lasts more than an hour, hour and 15 minutes tops, and you're getting to be a weird church if that's the case. And, and people, they, they don't want a lot of commitment. They don't want a lot of challenge. They don't want a church that's going to reach into their life and shake some things that's going on in their life. And you can view the church in a couple of ways. You can view the church, and this is kind of a presentation of one way to view it, as something you come to that, that out of the population of the people there, you begin to form the practices of what ought to be. That would be a democratic view of the church. Now, the problem with that view is God's not a democratic God. He is a theocratic God. He rules from heaven. He doesn't invite us to shape his policies. He speaks to us and he says, this is what the church is. And he tells us what that is. Now, everybody who stands and speaks ought to be standing and speaking for God. So it's not so much a democratic view that needs to prevail as much as what does God want his church to look like? And, and some of these ideas really don't float real well with what God had in mind. God's not offering uh, discount tithes. He's not offering it. If anything, God insists on, on tithing being a certain thing because it, it forces my heart to get in a place before God. Churches, sometimes churches are slow and apologetic about talking about money. You know what? God is not. Because he knows money matters to every heart in this building. Every one of us. And God is always after the things that matter in our hearts. He's not just up here trying to make us feel good, talk about life, how you can put a bit more pleasant spin on things. God wants to get at the issues that matter to us. And so 
these kind of ideas don't float with God. God wants to speak to us about what the church is supposed to be, not have us form our own policies and ideas. Now consider, this is, this is not a spoof. This is actually somebody who's done research on the church. He says, most people's sense of religious responsibility begins with personal felt needs and desires and ends with convenience and simplicity. If it takes too long, requires too much effort, costs too much money, seems too complicated, or causes too much discomfort, then the chances are good it won't make the day's agenda. The rule of thumb is that religion exists to serve people's needs, not God's purpose. Well, today as we talk about biblical fellowship, let me just, let me just tell you that it's in this quote. Biblical fellowship takes too long. It requires too much effort. I'm not sure it costs too much money. If you get to know certain people, it can cost you money, though. It seems too complicated. People are complicated. You get around them, they're complicated. They bring their issues, they bring their life. And if you're going to have fellowship with them, you're going to get involved in some complicated scenarios. It causes too much discomfort. We, we, I could just preach this quote. And we can really recognize some of the things we struggle with to make fellowship work. Fellowship is uncomfortable, isn't it? Now, if you're involved in fellowship, you know that. If you're not involved with fellowship, you probably know that as well. It's probably one of the primary reasons that you're not really involved in biblical fellowship. Because it's uncomfortable. Something could get known about me. I could be exposed. I could be found out that I don't walk on water the way I'd like to believe that I do. By hanging around people. So biblical fellowship is all these things. Today, we live in a time where this is the idea that really is a part of how people function. So to call on the church to biblically fellowship with each other is to ask the church to do things that we kind of don't like to do. We don't like much being required of us because that's the world that we live in. But it's not the church. It's not the church that God had in mind. These folks today are avoiding fellowship. If you turn, actually, I don't want to spend too much time here because I want to jump into some other verses here. But if we were to look into our photo album from the first century church and look back at the way that we were in the book of Acts. I'll just mention this to you real quickly. In the book of Acts, we find thoughts like this that characterize how relationships were occurring in the practice of fellowship in the church. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship. This was a devotion in their heart. This was a fond affection and something that they pursued with great interest. Devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. That word in common is where we get the word koinonia, which is the word for biblical fellowship. And you're going to see something. If you let koinonia get out of its Greek, it doesn't mean anything to me setting, and into these verses. Having something in common, that's what creates fellowship. Now, we have something spiritually in common already, and that's what creates unity. But there's a building of our lives to where we, more of my life is in common with yours, and more of your life is in common with mine. And that's got to come through relating, through intentional times of sharing together. And these folks were experiencing that. To such an extent, listen, they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers day by day those who were being saved. There's a lot of great thought in that passage. But look at the radical effect that fellowship was having upon these folks. Turn back to Acts chapter 4. You see a similar picture. Verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed... We're of one heart and soul. That, that, that doesn't occur without fellowship. It wasn't just that they hung around and heard dynamic teaching from the apostles. 
They needed that, and that was biblical. But there was an element of sharing life together that built their heart and their soul together so that they could actually be on a battleship together and build the kingdom of God and advance the mission of the gospel through the sharing of their lives together. They're of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. This, this is a rich relational verse. Because you know what? This would, be, this would not be news to us if we were reading about an individual family here, would it? I mean, I don't know, if you've if you got a family that doesn't look like this, you need to come get some serious counseling. This is what every family ought to look like in the place here, right? I mean, any of y'all kind of got your own stuff in the family? Right? you got dads running around saying, no, no, no I'm not giving you that. Go get your own food. Get, get away from the dinner table, kid. You want food, you go out and get it yourself. Right? Everything you got is in common to everybody else. Matter of fact, your kids take up more of it than you probably get, don't they? Your, your husband-wife relationship. There isn't this, way well, hey, you got yours and I got mine. When you got married, there was a sense of everybody had something in common. It became, you know, we call it today in the laws, community property. So there's a sharing of it there. That's a relational context. You know, if you got in a financial bind or something happened to one of your children, you'd do whatever it took financially to meet that need. Now, this is not a recipe that everybody ought to sell everything they own. There's some unique elements here. But what I want to highlight is just the relational depth and context of caring about one another. That when somebody else got in a bind and somebody else had a need, there was enough relational depth there that somebody says, you know what? I've got something I can sell to help meet your need. And it wasn't even just a matter of I've got some extra money in my pocket that I don't need and you're welcome to have it. Well, if the church could just get there. Wouldn't that be an amazing statement if we took what we didn't actually have use for the luxury that was in our life and made it available to minister into somebody else's need? That'd be a radical church today, radical church. But when you look back at this picture of this church, they weren't just taking their surplus. They were taking things that they owned and selling them and making that available for others and the needs that they had. And this is where I say sometimes I think we've drifted so far that we don't even know what normal looks like anymore. Because I know right now to, to say, let's have an altar call for everybody who wants to come sell what they have. You know, the altar call would be out there in cars. Right? We'd just be running out of this place. But there's a place where I need to get tweaked in my heart and get challenged in my heart to realize, have I severely drifted? from the things that were in the affections of these people's hearts that caused them to relate to one another. See, it's a far cry. We're in a place where I don't even know if we want to spend any time together. I don't even know if we want to sacrifice moments on our calendar today in the church to be with another person, much less sell something I own that I worked hard for and invested so that I could have that thing, sell it, give it away so that somebody else can benefit from it. So you start seeing the church is radically in need of restoration. We, we've lost the heart of something that God made central and vital to the church and how it functioned. Now I want to highlight two elements today of fellowship. Two functions of fellowship and then quickly two facets of fellowship. Let me go through uh, Hebrews chapter 3. Turn there with me to Hebrews 3. We started to look at these verses last week. So we would come back to them this week. Hebrews chapter 3 highlights one of the functions of fellowship. In this verse is highlighted the protective element of fellowship. God has given biblical fellowship to us in order to protect us. And then that might be the place to start because I think we're, we're usually interested in anything that's going to threaten us. So God reveals Fellowship is a means of protecting us. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart 
leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Let me just take a poll real quickly here so we can see whether we're in this verse or not. How many of you believe that, that you could be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin? believe that so you and I are in this verse now, how many of us think you don't have to raise your hand on this one how many of you think that but that will never happen to me I mean I know that can happen theoretically of course you know I mean anything's possible but it, it'll never happen to me if you think that way and maybe you don't run around espousing that a lot. But if you think that way in your heart, this is a meaningless verse for you. And what's most critical is there's a means of protection that's revealed in this that you will not avail yourself of it unless you know you're in the crosshairs. You know, you're not going to dodge a bullet unless you know someone's going to be shooting at you. Right? Nobody runs out of this barrel kind of like a car or kind of like a serpentine thing happening, you know. They're trying to keep the bullets from hitting you. Because when you walk out of here, you know no one's going to be shooting at you. If you knew and were convinced, there's, there's a sniper out there. He's, he's going to take me out. I have to get to my car, though. <laughs> so you, you do something different. You'd, you'd ask your wife to pull the car around or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Knowing your wife is better at serpentine, you know. Of course. Uh, I mean, come on, it was a snake who visited Eve, right? Come on, let's, let's connect theologically here. Hey, the Bible said she was quite deceived. Not even just a little bit, quite deceived. But that's a whole other issue. But if we don't see that, that we're in danger, then we don't take any protection against that issue. So we've got to see ourselves in this verse. And the Bible gives us this element to protect us. Now, why do we need protection? Let me cover this for, for maybe you're just exploring, getting used to Christianity. Why do we need protection? Well, when you look at the Bible, it describes the fact that you and I live in a fallen world. Sin has entered into the arena and it is all over the place. And it is, it is against us. And Jesus warned over and over and over again. The apostles warned over and over again throughout the New Testament. That there was a, a hostility that was here. That in this world you will have tribulation. And you and I don't always respond real well to tribulation. Everybody do great when everything doesn't go your way. I mean, my goodness, we can't handle traffic. What if we really have a dilemma in our lives? What if we really have too many things popping up against us? So we need protection because the Bible describes the environment that we live in. And what do we need to be protected from? Well, be aware that there is that, that unholy trinity that floats around in the world that you and I live in. There, there is the devil who is part of the world, part of the created order that you and I are part of today. He's a real spirit being. We really need to part with these Hollywood ideas of who the devil is. These uh, gorish looking part of today and horns and all this kind of a lot of makeup kind of thing. He is a spirit being who has fallen from heaven, whose sole desire and delight is to oppose the glory of God. Uh, can you guys remember this? You and I are the image bearers of the glory is the image of this through particularly the church. It's through man because man is the image of God, but it's church in particular that the glory of God is made manifest. So when that happened, when you got saved and came into the kingdom of God, you know, with your so with materials that we hope you all got was a saved and target that said paste on back. Those that we hope you all arrest who walked around as a target of an active spiritual foe. He is against you. And he's a good shot. That ought to cause you and I to take seriously. We may need some protection. We live in a world that is his puppet. The Bible describes the devil as the god of this world, influencing the atmosphere that we live in. 
And the air that we breathe is a philosophy that is his. How man is getting through life and defining what's important, what to live for. Listen, and you and I cannot and we do not escape the reality that those definitions are rubbing off on us on a daily basis. If you're in the business world, if you go to the shopping mall, if you there's a philosophy of what's important to man. What will really matter to you? What will be rewarding? What to avoid? What not to wear? You know, I mean, whole, whole TV show. You know, I mean, it's, because the world has put a great deal of value on these things because there's a God of this world who wants all of our attention in the wrong place. Well, guys, that's part of this deception. Getting you and I, getting you and I, to believe, you know, we're really, we're on track as a church. Man, we are moving and shaking on track as a church. Why? Because we're two steps to the left of where the world is. But, but the world keeps drifting farther and farther away from God. So if you and I measure ourselves in terms of righteousness by how far we are from the world, that's not a great measure. We need to go back to the Word. We need to look here and see. We need to be protected. Let me tell you... Uh, what is of primary concern in protecting us, I would say perhaps even bigger than what I just mentioned. And that would be the presence of indwelling sin. That's in each and every one of us. I put a couple of great thoughts in here. These guys say this much better than I would. But I want you to be sobered by the reality as you read through these thoughts of just what you and I are encountering when we deal with our own flesh. Chris Lungo. Chris Lungard So sin isn't just a permanent house guest. It's a meddlesome wretch. It's always poking its nose in, looking over your shoulder, whispering in your ear. Do you want to pray, listen to a sermon, meditate on the word, give a generous gift to the kingdom, encourage a brother, resist temptation? This hateful, wicked pest is in your face with a thousand distractions and surprises, making sure you can't perfectly accomplish the good you intend. It exasperates you. Does God command you to believe he is good and wise when you lose a friend? Indwelling sin sidles up with seeds of doubt and mistrust. Does God command you to help a neighbor in need? There is sin with apathy and stinginess in hand. Does God want you to long for the coming of Christ? Here is sin dangling before your eyes the trinkets of the world. This is the environment that sin dwells in in us. Now here's a sobering reality about the deceitfulness of sin. The law of sin doesn't work on us from the outside. We carry it in us. It's not a written law simply directing us by decree. It is inbred. Working, compelling, and urging us from the shadows of our hearts. See, that's why, that's why this verse says that none of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. This is where sin is most deceitful, is when it lurks in the shadows of my heart and begins to motivate me with what looks like good reasons for what I'm doing. It's awful hard to, to self-discern everything about our own lives. We, we can be our worst critic, either being too harsh or not strong enough. We can have blind spots that we simply cannot see. And so God has created this thing called fellowship that allows people to play a role in our lives so that when sin is lurking in the shadows of my heart and motivating me, somebody else who needs to be walking close enough with me to know something about me, can actually help me discern issues of sin that are beginning to grow in my heart and motivate my life the wrong way. I mean, one of the most glaring examples of that, and it can be true in any setting, has to do with our ambitions of what we want. And why do we really want it? You can want something good, and be wanting it for all the wrong reasons. And that thing becomes a controlling idol and a dangerous one because it's something good. You can want to be married. You can want to have children. You can want to be in the ministry. You can want something that's good and want it for the wrong reasons and have an ambition in you that's now a, this cancerous growth of an ambition that's lurking in the shadows of your heart. You want it for the wrong reasons. And you're going to become dependent upon it. You're going to use it for your own 
fulfillment rather than being able to serve that area or that relationship in a godly way. You know, it's awful hard to discern that yourself. Sometimes you kind of get a little wind of it. You start thinking maybe perhaps. But what benefit is there when there's somebody walking with you who can bring some wisdom and some thought and can see in your life something that's beginning to be controlling, something that's beginning to affect your emotions, something that's beginning to form pride in your presentation about yourself, who's walking close enough with you in a relationship that they can pull you aside and say, you know, I'm not sure what's going on lately, but I'm kind of seeing this happen in your life. You know, if you really kind of ask the Lord about that, that, that takes some depth of relationship. It takes biblical fellowship to be able to pull that off. And we need it because we need to be protected from those issues in our lives. Now, what has God assigned to us in order to protect us? Well, there's a number of things he gives, and I'm not going to go through these, but he gives the word of God. You know, we find numerous examples scripturally for all these things. That the word of God actually helps to guard my heart against sin. He gives the Holy Spirit. Obviously, we don't, we're not capable of empowering our lives towards righteousness without his aid. And so he's the one who's working in us to will and to do of his good pleasure. So the Holy Spirit's critical in protecting our lives from sin. The Bible highlights ministering angels. In Hebrews chapter 1, it talks about angels that are sent to minister on behalf of those who are inheriting salvation. The Bible doesn't tell us a lot about that ministry, but it does tell us that it's there. But when we look in these other verses in the New Testament, we find that God gives the fellowship of the church as a means of protecting us. Now, now here's, here's where a, a mistake is made by many, many Christians. I just listed four. There's probably more than that biblically, but these would be the big four. That God has given in our lives to protect us spiritually. We assume that we get to pick one of them. Or maybe two. As though the Bible's presenting these things like they're multiple choice questions. Now, which one would you like? Well, you know what? Pride would like to weigh in on this one. Pride and fear would love to whittle the thing down to maybe the Word and the Holy Spirit. You know, for me to be protected, it's going to take me and God being tight. That's what it's going to take. I mean, I know that. I know that. For me to overcome in areas of my life, to me to not give in to temptation. You know, me and God got to be tight. I've got, I got to be in the Word. Every day I've got to be in the Word. You know what? I wouldn't disagree with you on that. I wouldn't disagree because I'm not here this morning saying, no, 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 that's not important. What's only important is fellowship. Be, be, be weary of teachers who teach that way. We take the Bible, stomp all over it in one part in order to promote some other thought and idea. So I'm not standing up here saying, look, you don't need the Bible and you don't need the Holy Spirit. You just need each other. That's not what the Bible teaches. But on the other side, some of us are living lives that give away what we believe is all I need is God in the Bible. Because I can't point to significant people in my life who are walking this thing out. You know, I need lots you be in the word every day. Well, you know what this verse says? It, needs, it says you need to be exhorted every day. Amen. Exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today. So not only do I need to be in the word, I need to be exhorted by others in my life every day to guard and protect me from the deceitfulness of sin. Listen, I put a couple of verses in here. I'm not going to take any time in them. Ephesians chapter 5, 1 John chapter 1. Highlights elements of walking in the light. That when we, we walk in the light, we have fellowship with God and we have fellowship with one another. There's, a, there's an element of, of walking in the light. Ephesians 5 says that the light exposes the darkness. And it exposes the deeds of the darkness. And, the, and Ephesians 5 commands us not to be caught up in the unfruitful deeds of darkness. Don't be caught up in those things. It's not proper for those who are believers. But what is proper it would be that you would expose them. Well, think about this for a second. Here's the principle being taught to us. We're to expose the unfruitful deeds of darkness. Expose them to who? To whom? <laughs> to God? Does God need them exposed to him? He already knows they're there. 
Well, who are we exposing these things to? When I discover the unfruitful deeds of darkness in me, who am I to expose that to? I'm to expose it to others. Confess your sins to one another. See, we don't do that. We've lost that practice in the body of Christ. That's a, that's a fellowship dynamic. It protects us. It humbles me. It deals with my pride and my arrogance that, you know, I can walk around amongst a group of people and never have any weaknesses, never have anything wrong with me. I just know everything. You know, I'm, in, I'm the guy in the covenant group who's got all the answers. You know, I don't ever have a problem. I don't ever have a prayer request. I'm not ever struggling with anything. I'm just the answer man. It's me. You know what? If I'm not realizing that there is unfruitful deeds of darkness that God is just pulling out of our lives all the time. And I don't ever humble myself and say, hey, you know, uh, boy, I'm glad we're talking about that tonight. I've, I've been wrestling through this issue or I've had great difficulty or the Lord has blessed me in that area. But man, at one time, that was a real challenge for me to walk in. That, that's exposing and that's helpful. It brings our lives into the light. And there's a dynamic of fellowship that, that is exposing, that's healthy and needed. Now, I put this little line in here, and I believe, actually, I didn't intend this to be, but I thought about it afterwards. A warning for some that are here this morning. If you've not gone public with an area of sin, you're already deceived and one step closer to being hardened. If there's an issue of sin in your life, and you haven't gone public with it, well, I don't need anything I need to go public with. You know, I mean, God are working it out. Well, okay, well, let's stop for a second. What would be your hesitancy in going public with it? Now, before you run off, well, you know, people can gossip about it. And, you know, well, be careful about who you share it with then. But do share it. Which raises the question, are there any people in your life that you can share it with? Have you constructed intentionally relationships with people that are going to allow you to share the issues that are in your life with them in a way that exposing them is exactly what you need and you're going to benefit from it. And that person is going to be able to walk with you now in a much more meaningful manner and support you and pray for you and bring accountability into that area. Listen, if you're not doing that with sin, believe me, sin is a dangerous thing in your life. Remember, you've got a big target on your back. You have a world telling you you're okay when you embrace sin. As a matter of fact, you're right when you embrace sin. If you don't embrace sin, you're weird. If you don't vote a certain way, believe a certain way, pursue certain things in your life, you're a weirdo. And none of us like to be called weird, even by people who are lost. So we get in a dangerous spot and sin starts operating in our lives. This is a bad place to be. I, I need to get it out in the light. Put it out in the light. Let the thing be seen. Because when you hide it, the very thought that you'd be willing to hide it is, is deception advertising itself in your own heart. If I have an issue of sin in my life and, I, and I'm thinking, you know, I don't, I don't know that I should tell anybody. I haven't shared this with, with people that are in my life. I haven't shared it with my covenant group, covenant group leader. I haven't shared it with the people that are close walking with me. I haven't shared this. You're already deceived. You're already deceived. The question is, how far is the deception going to go? Well, I might become deceived. No, you already are. Because you're hesitating to do what the Bible's already made clear to do. And any time I'm hesitating to do that, I'm already in the realm of deception. It's beginning to get darker all around me. And the more I get into that, the darker and darker it gets to where eventually I become hardened. And I don't even start seeing my issues anymore. I'm walking around like I don't have any. And that's the worst place to be. But that's also a place where you need relationships. Because the great thing is, when you start thinking you don't have any other issues, and you'll humble yourself and ask the people around you, do I have any issues? They probably see them. Now, here's a challenge for us, and this will be something we'll probably share about uh, a little bit more in the next few months. Um, how to serve the person that you see issues in their life. Instead of just being one of those people that, you know, they're asking you for input. And you're just kind of waxing polite and nice. No, no, I, I think you're doing great. Not really. 
Yeah, that's right on. Instead of being able to humble yourself and, and to find a way to serve it up in grace and in love and in care. That's a different message. We'll get to that some other time. Let me move my next verse here. Hebrews chapter 10. Turn to Hebrews 10. Not only do we need the protection that fellowship provides, we need the support that it provides as well. Hebrews 10 verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Now, this next thought goes with this statement. It's not some big thought break here for us. What's just been highlighted is the direct access that every believer has to the person of God. This, this is teaching the priesthood of all believers. In the Old Testament, only the priest had access to God. All the other people stood at a distance. And if you wanted to get around God, you had to get around that guy so he could get around God on your behalf. You know, some of you grew up here. I grew up in a Roman Catholic. Uh, that's, that was my understanding of God, that the priest had a relationship with God that I needed to kind of access God through something that was about him. But that's not what the Bible teaches. This is incredible news. Every person who is in Christ has direct access to the throne of God. You can come right before God, straight to him. There's not a person who has a better standing than you do before him. Not one. That's amazing news for people who were guilty sinners like we were. But look how the thought continues. And, verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, what, what a radical thought this is. You're telling me I have direct access to the throne of God. I can go straight to God. Why do I need to go to anybody else then? Why do I need people? Yeah, I go straight to God. If I've got an issue, if I've got a sin issue, Keith, I'm just going to confess it to God. Yeah, right? That's what this is about. This is where we want to read the whole Bible. We don't want to just major in our few thoughts in a few areas. Because the whole Bible supports both concepts. Yes, I do have direct access to God. And there's an element of ministry that, that takes place there that no one else can give to me. The other side of this message is people who just love people so much, they don't know what it is to get with God. But that's not the message this morning. We do have direct access to God. And God will affect our lives through that in radical and powerful ways that nothing else can accomplish. But we are encouraged to have both. Now, isn't this the great, two great commands? To love, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. The Bible immediately tells us we're going to have two things going on in our life. We're going to worship and we're going to relate. We're going to worship something and we're going to relate to people. Those two factors are going to be in our life forever. So the question is, how are we going to steer them? How are we going to place them in our life in a biblical fashion? And I would say this. Whatever it is that you're worshiping, probably, probably I could almost say absolutely, is the function of the people you're relating to. I don't know people who are hanging around, dynamic, hard, going after God, loving God, passionate, laying their lives down, living for the glory of God, who are worshiping junk in their lives. Who are worshiping some form of temporary, fleshly pursuit and endeavor. You know, if your heart's after those kind of things, you tend to surround yourself with people who are after those kind of things as well. So these two things are related. And the Bible says that. You know, bad company corrupts good morals. He who walks with wise men becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. See, you and I, if we want to walk with God, we want to grow with God, you, you better find some godly people to run around with. 
me just give this encouragement and, and warning to those who are, are new in the kingdom of God. You're, you're taking your steps to get your walk going with God. You've spent most of your life building relationships with people. And in that people pool are people who are lost for the most part. And you get saved and all of a sudden there's this new agenda that sees your heart. It's the agenda and the purpose that glorifies God. And you start to get about that, but you see you're more connected with people who aren't about that. They're about something else. Other things matter to them. They're running hard after something else. And if you hang around with them, make them the primary influence group in your life, you're going to run hard after something else too. I, I just guarantee it. I just don't know. I can't. I don't know that. I don't know anyone. And I can say I've never known anybody. In my twenty-something years of being saved. Who has hung around a people who their primary influence group doesn't go after God, but they're going hard after God. It just doesn't happen because those two things are related. So who we fellowship with, who we open and have our lives in common with is going to shape our worship. But in this context here, there's another thing that's going on here. We're having access to God, but we have access to each other. And there's a support element that's brought in here. And, and I wish I had a little bit more time here to get all these thoughts before you, but I'm going to pick and choose here for a moment. Look at verse 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another. Let us consider how to do this. This is, this is an admonition given to every one of us. This is not a pastoral responsibility. It's not the responsibility of covenant group leaders. It's all of our responsibility. Let us consider how to do this. How can I stir up others? This is a great thought. This is a job description. John Piper says, I urge you to hear God's word in Hebrews 10.24. When you get up in the morning, consider, think about, ponder, deliberate, meditate, mull over other people with this conscious goal. What can I do today so that they will be stirred up to love and to good deeds? Now, there is a reason to live and a focus for every day that will never be boring. Every day is new and different. People change. Their circumstances change. You change, but the call remains the same. Consider, consider, consider these people you will be around today. What are they like? What am I like? What will the situation be like? What helps a person become loving? What is the origin of genuine good deeds? This is a reason for living that is focused enough to be practical and big enough to last a lifetime. You know, if you're a Christian who's getting a little bored with the whole church scene thing, you're bored in living out Christianity, I would, I would have to assume this statement would not describe you. If I am energetically considering how, how can I stir up AJ? How can I stir up Mary? How can I, what can I do? Who can I be to people that are in my life that's going to stir up love and good deeds in their life? So that I can't wait to be around them. I can't wait to get to that meeting. I can't wait to embrace this relationship that God's put in my life. Because I have a functional responsibility in it to stir up something of God in their lives. How can I do that? I need to figure out how to do that. And you, and you figure out how to do it. Consider, consider, consider. I don't know if I know how to do that. It says consider how. Figure out how. But if that, but if that, but if if you're in that mode, and have some of those things. Maybe you do need to change some things in your life. But I would, I would look after this issue before you try and figure out the answer to that question. Am I going after people biblically? Am I going after them biblically? None of my waiting for them to come after me. Am I going after them biblically? I guarantee you, covenant group meetings, for instance... Uh, for some folks, maybe covenant group meetings are boring. Guy that the co I'll tell you one guy that the covenant group meeting is never boring for. Never boring there. It's never boring for him. Or you come to church and maybe maybe church is boring. It's never boring for me. 
See, every, every Sunday is an adventure for me because I'm trying to figure out how to stir you up. I mean, that's, man, all week praying, God, give me a word. Give me your spirit. God, come in our midst. Let your presence be in our setting. God, dislodge issues of sin. Launch us into your purposes. See, and I come into this meeting all over the edge of my seat looking for how can that happen better. I spend the whole time in worship just trying to be sensitive to the Spirit of God. What do you have a word for somebody today? Is somebody supposed to give a prophetic utterance? Lord, any ministry opportunities that are here this morning? Uh, I realize you're not the pastor and you're not even the covenant group leader, perhaps. But do you have any sense of that when you come to a meeting? Do you have any sense of showing up with a sense of who can I stir? Who is in the midst? Who's going to be here tonight? Who's going to be in the meeting tonight? You know, so-and-so. And what's going on in their lives? What did they share last week? Uh, what do I know about them? I'm praying for them this way. And just beginning to cultivate in your hearts a stirring up of one another. If you come to the message, you just sit there in the chair and you, and you answer a question only when the covenant group leader forces you to participate. If that's what you're doing, it is a boring meeting. But it's not because a cup of cup of cup of boring, 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 boring. It's because you're boring, boring, boring. It's because you're not living a push, 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 push. Not living a lot, a lot of push, pushing, pushing you, cuddle, 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 cuddle. And I don't know, no, I, 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 it's just a man, 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 It's a fellowship mandate on our life. If I'm getting up every day, everything I participate in is looking to answer the call to this. I guarantee you, you will not be bored. Your relationships will be severely affected. And what an incredible joy they will be. Well, how do we do this? How do we encourage one another? Well, two things are said in this verse here. One of them, verse 25. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together. Well, here's a real easy one then. First thing I got to do is be in contact with people. If I'm going to stir anybody up, I'm going to need to have a, an ability to touch their life. So I'm not supposed to neglect the, the means of meeting together here. Let me give you this thought here. and Everybody find themselves in this quote. So I ask you to take stock of your life. Where are you in verse 25? There are two groups. Those who gather to encourage each other. And those who have formed the habit of not gathering. See that little phrase in verse 25? Not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some. Non-participation in a small group can be habit forming. How are you doing? See, if you take seriously the call, the mandate that God has placed that you stir up one another. In the body of Christ to love and good deeds, then you're going to seek opportunities to be in relationship with people. You're not going to be a hermit. You're not going to withdraw. Well, what if people don't respond to me a certain way? What if they don't think what I said was great? Well, is that why you're sharing it? Is that why you're serving them? I thought you were serving them to stir up love and good deeds in them. Well, well, yeah, I am, but really, ultimately, what I'm after is them telling me that I do a really good job when I stir. <laughs> You're going to find that out. You'll find that out when you step out in faith into people's lives and they don't receive you the way that you had hoped that they would, and then you go away. You're going to find out in that moment. Ah, I think I realized why I did that. Lurking in the shadows of your heart was a motive that was wrong. And unless you've got somebody walking with you, you will self-justify that motive every time. Well, you know, they said this, you know, they gossiped or didn't receive this or that. See, there's a mandate here, and I know I'm, I'm out of time here, so I need to wrap up. Matt, come on up here. Um, there's a mandate on our lives. And let me, let me hit these, these two facets just as a closing statement here. Not only do you and I need to be protected and supported Right? That's a need everybody here has. I hope everybody here is humble enough to be able to acknowledge that. And as I studied through this, prayed through it, I, Lord, I, you know, I went before the Lord again. Lord, do I realize how much need I have in these categories? Do I realize my need for encouragement, for support? Do I realize my own need for protection? For there to be relationships intact in my life, built, repaired, and functioning in such a way that the need I have 
To be protected from sin and from this world and from the devil is functioning and occurring in my life. And the support that I need, the encouragement that I need, when I don't feel like there's any wind in the sails of my faith, Lord, are there relationships that I have been responsible to build into my life that people will be able to support what God is doing in my own heart? And secondly, am I doing that for anybody else? I'm called to do that for others. I'm called to help protect others through the vehicle of fellowship. I'm called to support others in what God's called them to be in their lives. Stirring them up. Now, there's kind of a couple of words this morning that were about people launching out in faith. You know, what if there's somebody who's, you know, standing, ready to launch out? I, I don't know. I've never done this before. They're talking themselves out of it constantly. Where are the people around them that are standing in faith saying, Go for it, man. Man, step out. God is with you. I'm watching God at work in your life, man. He's all over your life. Come on. Do it. I don't know, you know. Get pushed. We need those people in our lives, and we need to be those people in other people's lives. Let's stand up together. Lord, this, this again is, is a word, a word I believe is bigger than this morning and, and, and really bigger than our ability to respond to it in a moment. Lord, the response that it needs has to begin with a, a severe examination of the existing relationships in our lives. Lord, are those relationships going to be able to answer these verses? Are they people who are functioning in our lives as protection and support? And then who are the people that we are functioning in their lives as protection and support? Lord, survey us this morning. And not just this morning. Lord, this needs to be a question that will haunt us. Because fellowship is too critical for us to take it lightly, to avoid it, to neglect meeting together for whatever reason we might be doing it. Lord, we're going to need to hear you on this. Next week when we're tempted to miss an opportunity to to be with another believer, build a relationship, to avoid a covenant group meeting because it's not convenient or there's other things that we've made more important. To not be in a church gathering where we're getting envisioned together so that we can support one another, even in what was heard this morning. So, Lord, not just this morning would you convict us and lead us, but, God, would you begin to stir this area in our life every day each day, each week, for months to come, that we might become a church restored to biblical fellowship, benefiting from what this rich dynamic of ministry offers to us. I'm going to give a couple of folks an opportunity. We're going to close out by doing this. I'm just going to close with some time of prayer. We have these individuals come up. I'm going to ask for people who are in relationship with them that you would come and pray with them. And I'm going to dismiss everybody else to go ahead and get to school the word. If, if you're here this morning, I don't know if I'm going to say it the way I said it here, and you've not gone public with an area of sin in your life, you're struggling with an issue. No, no, don't do this. Don't say, well, I'm struggling today with an issue that I went public with about three years ago. You've gone public while you're struggling now with it. It's an issue now for you. And you've not gone public with it. You've not exposed the unfruitful deeds of darkness. You are in danger of being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And God's remedy is for you to expose it in the light. So this altar call is not an easy one. It's wide out in the open. Everybody's eyes are open. They're looking at you if you're responding. And you're only going to respond if you take serious what the Word of God just said. And you know, if I hang on to this thing, it's going to cost me. But if I expose it to God and confess it, I'm going to ask somebody else to come up and pray with you. You're going to confess it to that person. And benefit from perhaps maybe the beginnings of biblical fellowship in that area. 
So if you're here this morning and there's an issue of sin you're wrestling with, you have not exposed it to the light and confessed it to another, I want to ask you to come out from where you are. Come stand up here and I'm going to invite folks to come up and just pray with you. let this not be the only few folks who receive the benefit of humility. Let there not be another day of hardening an issue of sin that's underground kept for somebody to manage on their own. What pride and arrogance. I believe that there's some of you here this morning, you're thinking this message was enough for you to turn it around on your own. Can I just get in your head with that thought and tell you, you are being deceived. And if you miss the opportunity to run into the light right now, I don't know whether you're going to want to run into the light in the future. And you don't either. I'm wrestling with getting specific. I'm not going to get specific with issues, particularly sins that tend to be in the dark, hidden, secretive type sins. But if you're aware this morning, God's grace is accessible to you through the form of humbling yourself and confessing your sins one to another. This is a, a, a restoration of that which is biblical. This is not weird. If you're here this morning, you're thinking, this is weird. So this guy's actually asking people to come forward publicly and tell their sin to somebody else. This is weird. Can I tell you something? If you're thinking that way, you're a walking billboard for the fact that you think more like the world than you do like the Bible. It's normal in the Bible to confess our sins to one another. That's normal. And if you've never done that and it's foreign to you, it's only because we're biblically uninformed. So let's get the weird category right. I'm being normal this morning. If you're thinking this is weird, it's because you're not being biblical. And so one more time, because I'm not going to take all morning to do this. You need to be urgent about your issue in your life. If you are still in your seat and you know you're holding on to an issue, it's not been brought to the end of the light, and you need to confess it and ask for prayer. I want to ask you to come out from where you are, come stand, come humble yourself, and and let folks pray for you in that particular area. Uh, You only need to confess details that are significant enough for that person to understand how to pray for you. Blow-by-blow descriptions are not necessary. The nature of the issue that you're struggling with is sufficient. And I I would much prefer... But if there are folks here who have an ability to relate in the future to individuals, that you would pursue those guys to pray with. They're in your covenant group. Or just a personal friend, somebody you've been walking with. Then please pursue them. For this morning, we invite... Your awesome presence right here, right now. To expose that which is bringing harm and designed for destruction in the future, in these lives. But today, Lord, to bring it into the light. To expose it so that its ability is hampered and destroyed. For Lord, when we bring things in the light and walk with you who is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And that fellowship protects us, Lord. That's what your word says. It protects us. So, Lord, let there be 
divine protection this morning coming upon each one of these lives who have humbled themselves, opened their lives to you, and, and humbled themselves by opening them, their lives to another to confess and be open. Lord, let this morning be a breakthrough in these lives, Lord. We want that for each of these issues that are in their hearts. Lord, let it be a powerful breakthrough in their lives and let a new day begin, Lord. Let a day of freedom and a day of liberty begin in these hearts and in these lives. Lord, let there be, in the future, daily exhortation from others. Lord, may they be pursuing daily exhortation from others in this area. As long as it is called today, let them be strengthened so that they will avoid the hardening that comes from the deceitfulness of sin. So Lord, minister to these guys right now.